Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined again alongside Mike McIntyre for an incredibly exciting episode as uh, we continue on with Indian Wells, the BMP Paribas Open from California. And Mike, another big time guest for this week, one of our favorites, honestly. Yeah, from the fifth, so called fifth Grand Slam of the year, uh, Layla Annie Fernandez. One of our favorites, one of our listeners' favorites as well. So I know you're all going to be stoked to have her back on the podcast. Great to have her once again to sort of get into what she's up to in 2023, her motivations and plans for the year. And uh, we should also say a big thank you to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada, for uh, joining us on the episode uh, this week as a sponsor. Yeah, such such a big episode and uh, great for Layla to share her time mid-tournament at Indian Wells because there is so much happening. It's, it's probably the busiest uh, 1,000 event of the year. I, I do think it's one of the busiest tournaments overall. You have the men and the women there. So outside of a Grand Slam, so much is happening. Um, but Layla progressing on in this tournament and sharing her time. And uh, why don't we dive right in? Here's our conversation uh, with Canadian Layla Annie Fernandez. Really happy to be joined right now by frequent guest on Matchpoint Canada, one of the country's top players and uh, a real leader among our female crew, Layla Annie Fernandez. Uh, welcome back to Matchpoint Canada. Thanks for taking the time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here again. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to to chat and catch up with you, Layla. I have to ask because I've never had the experience of being to Indian Wells, and that's where you are right now as we have this conversation. Is it truly tennis paradise? What is what's the environment like there, and and how comfortable do you feel around there? It is truly tennis paradise. Um, you know, every every morning you get on court and you get the view of the mountain mountains with the palm trees it's so beautiful um and then the fans are incredible they there's so many people here who are coming to watch us play singles doubles men women so i think you can feel the love that they have for for the sport and for their players you they cheer for everyone it's not just for one player and it's it's truly amazing and then afterwards the the organizers, they've done such a great job to make it easy for the players to to feel comfortable with the restaurant being so close by. And then the the players feel the grass area. It's, it's a, such a fun area where we can kick the ball and kind of interact with fans at the same time and doing our fitness warm up. And uh, it's just it's just a great paradise where we can have fun and just enjoy ourselves. Sounds just like Toronto here, except we're buried <laughs> under snow at the moment and uh, <laughs> don't have a view of the mountains, but sounds absolutely lovely. Glad you're enjoying it. Uh, they, they call Indian Wells the fifth slam. And I'm just wondering from your point of view, uh, what does it have in common with the majors? Does it feel like it has a vibe that separates it maybe from some other thousand level and, and other regular WTA events? So it's such a great question. You know, I've I've always thought like every tournament is about is the same. Um, so like it doesn't matter if I'm playing a 250, 125, I always feel like it's a grand slam for me. So it's a it's a it's a different different environment. But I feel like Indian Wells, what they do super well is that they have a lot of courts so they can accommodate a lot of players. And I think that's probably one of the reasons they call it a fifth grand slam. And 
it's one of the very first um, WTA 1000s or 1000 tournaments for for the men and women. So it it's a it's a big deal. So there's a lot of players who come and and they play this tournament like let's say 99% of the time. Yeah, yeah, it's a, such a great combined event uh, as well. Uh, for you, Layla, just talking about your tennis and your 2023 so far, you've had some some nice results. I did want to talk to you about your experience playing uh, world number one, Iga Svantec. We've just been amazed at her level of tennis, what she's producing in that spot. And, you know, even though you did lose to her in Dubai, what did you maybe take away from that experience? It's just, you know, going on court and, and feeling her level. And, and what did you learn learn from that loss? Yeah, um, it, was a, it was a great experience playing against uh, Iga. She's number one in the world. She's been doing great for the past year. Um, I think what I learned the most uh, would be just not making mistakes. <laughs> um, no, but uh, in all seriousness, after the match, I talked with my coaches and we said, you know, we got to upper intensity in, in practices and in training and up the hours. So that's what we've been doing a lot. And I'm glad that that today I was able to get through the first round and have an opportunity to play on, on Monday. Yeah, to play on Monday. And I think um, playing against Siga has also helped me to understand what I need to do and what I need to 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 achieve to to get where she is at right now. I love the positivity. I don't know if I'd be feeling that. I got to be honest <laughs> if I had to face her in a draw. But, uh, you know, when the draws do come out, Ben and I, we always look at, at where you and the other Canadian women um, have, have fallen. And I'm sure many of our listeners do that too. go right to the Canadian flags in the draw. Uh, how frustrating is it not being seated when you've got to face players like Iga or Caroline Garcia super early in a draw? I mean, I know you've come up as a pro and, and that's what it was like when you were sort of cutting your teeth and, and making your mark on the WTA. But as someone who's been seated, been at the upper levels of the sport to now have to go through this process of really rolling the dice every time the draw comes out, how, how does it make you feel? Excited. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just another opportunity to play against uh, the best in the world. Um, you know, I have, I have gone through that and I'm still going through that. And I'm just happy that I'm healthy enough to, to, to have the opportunity to play against them. Uh, you know, it's never easy to face them in the early rounds, but it's also a great opportunity for me to see where my level is at, what I need to work on. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great place to be. And I'm just happy. Like I said, I'm healthy to, to play against these players. So it's only frustrating for me and Ben. Okay. Good to know. Probably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we've seen also, I, I noticed you've, you've made some, maybe changes and adapting your style uh, this season. I, I love firstly, just seeing a serve and volley. It's, mm -hmm. it's not something we see so commonly in tennis these days. How comfortable are you just changing tactics and, and adding elements to your game? And how important do you think that is for you to, to go even, even further in your career? Um, it's super important for me. You know, it's not changing my game. It's more adding to my game. Mm -hmm. I've always felt comfortable being at the net uh, going forward. I've always, I've always wanted to find ways to take the ball earlier and earlier. And serve and volley has been one of the, the tactics that we've been trying out in practices and in matches. And of course, sometimes I don't win uh, those points, but I'm glad that I'm like, I have the courage to, to try it out and, 
hopefully one of these days that it will all click and I'll be able to win more points than 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 lose them. And I think it's just something that 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 makes the the sport exciting because it makes me excited to be trying it out and be doing it in matches. And I think the the crowd can can love love it a lot more. The serve and volleying must also be getting uh, better. What with all the doubles that you've been playing, and mm-hmm. here you are in Indian Wells playing with Taylor Townsend. You seem pretty popular, judging by the number of different doubles partners that you're playing mm-hmm. with now. So, are you getting a lot of requests? And uh, how did this particular partnership come together? Yeah, I am getting a lot more requests, which I'm grateful for. But at the same time, I hate saying no to to players because they're all so nice and. We've always like talked about in the past, like if we could play doubles together. And when they do ask me, I'm I'm heartbroken when when I'm already set up with another player. But I think it's a it's a good place to be at, and I'm able to 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 pick the the player that I feel like I'm gonna have more fun with on court. And Taylor is definitely one of them. We were talking a lot during Australian Open of seeing if we can play doubles together in one of these tournaments, and. Uh, Luckily, Indian Wells and Miami came up and uh, she did ask me early on. And I said, yes, of course, because I didn't have a partner back that, uh, for, for these tournaments. And she asked me and I said, yes, of course, I'm excited to play with her. And that's how the partnership came about. That's uh, that's terrific. And uh, I love sort of the team atmosphere that doubles creates. Mm-hmm. We'll have a team atmosphere actually for, for Canada in Vancouver at the Billie Jean King Cup for the qualifiers. Um, just your thoughts uh, for, for that upcoming weekend. I, I know it's probably not top of mind right now, but are you hoping to be available for the team? And, and how much do you love, uh, I guess, suiting up for Canada for that event? No, I've... I love playing for Canada. Um, you know, every opportunity that I get to represent Canada, I try to I try to make myself available more times than not. And I think this time we're playing in Vancouver, if I'm not mistaken, it will be an exciting atmosphere. I had a lot of fun last year, so um, you know, I'll see I'll see what my schedule is like. But it would be it would be great to go back there and play in front of Canadians. One other question, and God knows we'd love to see you there, and, and so mm-hmm. Canadian tennis fans, because I think with you and Bianca, Rebecca Marino, Gabby Dabrowski, and others, boy, we've got such a strong group in Canada, and uh, yeah. I think we'll have for years to come, so that's very exciting. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, another thing that maybe is on the horizon for you, maybe not, but uh, Breakpoint Season 2, it's been announced, is going to be mm-hmm. coming out on Netflix, and I've just about made it through the first five episodes mm-hmm. of Season 1. We caught a few glimpses of you here and there, is there any chance that we see you as a more prominent fixture in, in the second season? And is that something that you would be interested to do to let the cameras sort of into your life at that level? I guess you'll just have to wait and see about that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. Uh, we'll have to, I'll have to talk with, with my team of how much we would want that if like we want that in, into our personal uh, environment. Uh, but you know, I think think it's a great it's a great show up to now. They're doing a great job, and I've heard some positive things in season one. And hopefully, season two can be even more exciting, and it could bring a lot more fans to 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 watch tennis, especially the the younger the younger generations that they can come and watch us and uh, support support their their favorite player. That's super cool. Uh, last question for me, Layla. We know your sister Bianca Jolie is also working hard in her pursuit as a young tennis player. How often do you guys chat? And when you do chat, are you normally talking tennis or are you talking other things? 
Um, yeah, I try to talk to her every every day, every two days. And the beginning of the conversation, which is probably two sentences, it would be about tennis. It's more like, how are you playing? How do you feel? And then afterwards, we get out of that conversation as quickly as possible and talk <laughs> everything other than tennis. I try to ask her about how she's doing in school. Um, what do, What is she doing like on her free time? Because, you know, like she's training, but it's not she's not doing it every hour of the day so if she's watched any new shows lately and I'll and then if she does I try to watch the same show as her to see like why does she like that show and if I don't like it I'll tell her right away <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh Layla it's always a, a pleasure catching up and, and chatting with you and uh especially we're, we're a little bit envious that you're in tennis paradise <laughs> but we love watching from afar and I, and I got to say, Layla, Annie, my favorite, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done was with you and Bianca Jolie together. I believe that was early last year. Just yeah. not not for the tennis stuff. But yeah, like you said, just the back and forth between the two of you was fantastic. Got to see sort of that that sibling, you know, dynamic between yeah. the two of you. So hopefully we can hook one of those up again in 2023 with with both of you. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun to do another interview with my sister. Hopefully she won't be too mean to me this time. But <laughs> other than that, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Ben, for having me. It was a lot of fun catching up with you. And maybe next year you guys can come by the Tennis Paradise and interview us in person. Here we go. We'll run we that by Tennis that. Canada yeah, and, and put that great. in motion. Thanks, mm -hmm. Leila Annie. There you have it, our interview with Layla Annie Fernandez. And have to say, she seemed in a great bubbly mood. I mean, she kind of always is when we chat with her, which is awesome. And I love her approach, I guess, in terms of she doesn't have the ranking maybe she wants right now. She has been unseated in draws, but she uses that as something that's exciting. I get to challenge the best players. Yeah, and I don't feel like that's BS with her either, you know? Like, some players might say that, and it might be like a cliche. Oh, I love playing mm. the top players. It's always a great chance to test myself. But with her, I feel like it's genuine, and she's just got that positivity, and she wants to compete against the best. And to her, whether she's got the seed next to her name right now or whether she's still got a fight to get there, she's going to approach that match like any other. You know, it's kind of how she mentioned that whether she's playing a 125 tournament or a Grand Slam, she always has that like Grand Slam mentality and mindset when she steps on the court. And I believe that too. She's just got that fighting spirit. And that's what gives me the confidence that she's going to make it back into the top 30, the top 20, and hopefully beyond because of the fact that she doesn't let things get her down. Yeah, that's that's well said. And for me, I, I feel like she hasn't fully hit her stride yet this season and playing her best tennis, but the wins are starting to slowly pile up. Um, you know, she took a different route this season, which we talked about playing the Middle East events as opposed to going to Mexico where she has had great success. And one good experience that at least came of that is she got some very, very tough matches. And we obviously touched on the experience playing the world number one. And, you know, I always think, at least for me personally, when I play, I learn more from a loss than I maybe learn from a victory. And especially you kind of find out about yourself and your level and what you need to work on when you face a world number one player. And Igor Spiontek, we know, has been giving out a lot of tennis lessons this uh, past year and a half. I learned more from my losses too, but that's because I only have losses when I step <laughs> on the court, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she maintains that upbeat spirit. And, you know, if you go back to her making the finals of the U.S. Open a couple years ago and we kind of explore the trajectory of her and the woman who beat her, Emma Raducanu, both who were teenagers at the time, 
I feel like Raducanu, you see a little bit more of it, things weighing on her since that match. And I feel also in part that's the fact that the, the tennis media in the UK has a larger, premise, uh, more, sorry, larger presence and are far more critical of their tennis players in general than we are here in Canada. Like, let's be honest, in Canada, we're still in this phase where we're super excited to have these players that are top 10, like Felix Ogie-Aliassime, or like Bianca and Leila Annie have done in, in recent years. So we're still maybe not quite as critical on our tennis players as, as we should be, but I don't think we should ever get to the level of what we see in the UK. But Leila Annie's managed to maintain that positivity, and you see it in her Instagram stories. You hear it when she comes on and does interviews and when she chats with us. I, I genuinely feel like, um, yeah, she's, she's upbeat by nature, and yet super serious when she steps foot on the court. And I, I kind of like that dynamic. She has fun with the job. She enjoys being a tennis professional. And uh, I'm so excited to see what comes next. And when you speak with her, as we did, you can't help leaving that conversation feeling optimistic for what's to come. Yeah. And look, she has that perfect dynamic with her sister, because I, I wanted to ask that question of uh how often are you in touch with Bianca Jolie? Because, you know, your younger sister, a couple years younger, trying to make it as a pro and, and still has a long road ahead. I, I think she's inside the top 700. We know how difficult it is, has to play smaller events. And I like maybe the formula that they have of, you know, chatting tennis, like for a couple questions at the start. And let's sort of drop it right after that. They've got such a fun dynamic. And I, I said to Bianca Jolie, I touched base with her back in the fall and said, hey, we got to get you on the podcast just solo at some point in 2023. And she said she's all about that. So we'll have to have her back. The difference between the two siblings is so stark. I mean, <laughs> Bianca Jolie has this like sarcastic sort of edgy sense of humor, like good natured, yeah. but there's an edge to it. Whereas Leila Annie Fernandez is like the sweetest girl you'll ever talk to, I feel like. And isn't that the case with most siblings, like with my siblings or even amongst my kids, they're all so different and have an interesting dynamic between them. It's the same with the Fernandez sisters. So I think we should definitely do that. And, and it'd be cool to have them both on again at some point. And, uh, and you know, Layla Annie's got that, that playful sense of humor, too, that I think we're seeing more often. The more times we have her on the podcast, the more we get to know her as well. And uh, I think she kind of was hinting at season two of that Netflix series that, I don't know, she. how do you judge what she said? Because I feel like there was kind of like a veiled answer there that I, I feel like we're going to be seeing her there judging from how she kind of played around that question. Yeah, I, I was I wasn't sure that she was necessarily gonna be a feature player, but maybe she's sprinkled in briefly, but certainly sounded very open to the idea. Um while kind of understanding wanting the privacy. And we we talked about that with Bianca Andrescu, how she wasn't in the place to do it in season one, but now as players, they watch back season one and think, wow, this is actually so cool. And now everybody wants to get on board, right? And I think, and maybe this is just Canadian bias, but for me, Bianca, Layla, these are super marketable, interesting players and personalities. Absolutely. And, and I forget who told me now, it was somebody who's in the know, they said that Layla Annie was being considered for a more prominent role in season one until the foot ankle injury sustained okay. at Roland Garros. So maybe because it couldn't happen last year, now it's something that they're looking to to push ahead with. Uh, obviously we'll have to wait to find out. She wasn't giving anything away, but um, you know, there's gotta be a Canadian presence there the way that our nation has kind of risen up the ranks uh, in the tennis world in recent years. Yeah. Fingers crossed for that. And we thank uh, Layla Annie as always uh, for her time looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation. You can look 
no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort with its state-of-the-art fitness facility, which I personally tried out, 10XTO, four amazing indoor tennis courts. There is something for everyone in the family. That's not all Hotel X has to offer. Luxury, luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar. So much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto for business or pleasure hotel x is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike you can book your stay today at toronto's only urban resort hotel x toronto experience the extraordinary and we'll carry on with indian wells action and you pose the question to layla briefly but what does make this the fifth slam in your eyes i guess i'll ask you the question well to me i think the timing has a lot to do with it as well and i think layla annie alluded to this the fact that we haven't had a slam now in about two months. And this is the first big meeting where the men and the women are all there. It's a bit of an expanded draw. It's more than a one-week tournament. So in that sense, it's already got the feel of a slam just by virtue of its uh, longevity mm -hmm. and the fact that you've got so much tennis action going on all over the place. And then when she throws in the beautiful scenic views, it's, uh, you know, that's an added bonus as well. There are a lot of tournaments and it's not their fault, just the way that they're placed. They don't have snow-capped mountains along with palm trees everywhere. So sounds to me like it's kind of a combination. Uh, but I also think the fact that it's the first event in a while to have this many tennis players on both male and female sides definitely gives it that grand slam allure. Yeah, uh, and it, it sort of rests in its own block in the schedule, if you think about it, because we've already had the first hardcourt slam of the season in Australia, and obviously there are more hardcourt tournaments following. There's also clay, but this is sort of, I guess, the wrap-up of anything on hardcourt before we venture over to the full clay court season. So there is some kind of finality there. And as you said, yeah, the length of the tournament, I think I love a 10 day tournament. That's sort of a perfect block. Maybe in Australia, I, I just get kind of gassed out because we're waking up at like three in the morning. But um, I, I think the, the length of a, uh, a fun sort of men's and women's event. I would love like Montreal and Toronto, if that could ever be a 10 day tournament, how cool would that be? Yeah. And that's happening, isn't it? I believe that they are expanding to a bigger draw starting in uh, what is it? 2025. I think tennis Canada. Oh, right. Okay. last summer, um, at least for the men's draw, I think it was that it's going to be going to a bigger format. So that'll be great. I mean, I liked it back in the day when Montreal and Toronto were not simultaneously happening the same week. And I get how they're doing it as sort of like a virtual combined from the two separate cities that on TV for fans watching, they can click back and forth between channels and catch mm -hmm. the men's and the women's action simultaneously. But as, as a tennis lover and someone that wants to see all of it live, if I can, you can't be in the two cities at the same time. It's an hour flight, a six hour drive. The logistics make it difficult. If you're with the media, you kind of almost have to pick one yeah. and run with it. And since we're based in Toronto, this is the one that we've been sort of you know, electing to uh, zoom in on each summer. But uh, I did enjoy it when it was back-to-back -back weeks where the tennis world was looking at us here in, in Canada for that level of tennis. Yeah, no, that that's true. That is very cool. If we continue on with the tennis and just touching on another Canadian and what an opportunity she will get, Bianca Andreescu fought her way through a tough opening round match you know, Peyton Stern's probably not a player on many people's radar, though got a wild card and she played quite an impressive match, uh, really pushed Bianca, very tough three setters, some great rallies, like very competitive and Andrescu battling through there and now gets 
the matchup against the world number one, Iga Spiontek, uh, waiting for her there. And Iga, you know, she took care of business, beating Claire Lou six love, six one in, in 64 minutes. So she's going to be very well rested. She's used to those types of co- score lines. And I suppose at this point for Bianca, I don't know if an expectation here is a victory. I mean, that seems like a lot, but this is certainly a litmus test to see, can she hang with Iga and can she push her? Yeah, I mean, is she ready for this type of challenge? Is anyone ready for this type of challenge? Uh, Sviantek's been just steamrolling the field, aside from losses to uh, Rybakina at the Aussie Open and Barbara Krejcikova more recently. She's just been dismantling her opponents all year long. So does Bianca have the type of game to disrupt her? And I feel like when she's on her game, she's got as much of a chance as anyone. I just don't feel like we've seen it consistently enough in 2023. She's only six wins and five losses on the year. Uh, The match against Stearns was kind of concerning. Stearns is is younger, so a bit of an unknown quality. I was speaking with Canadian Ariana Arsenault, who plays college tennis, grew up playing juniors against Stearns, and says she's got a heck of a forehand and a lot of confidence. But this is a player still who was outside of the top 100 and gave Bianca fits for the first, you know, half of the match, really. So it's going to be a totally different level against Fiontech. We saw what she did against fellow Canadian Leila Annie Fernandez recently. Uh, what, what do you think? I know it's going to be maybe a little bit outdated by the time some people get to this episode, but as we are here now, the match hasn't happened yet. What do you think she can bring to the table in this one? Well, I, firstly, I'm hoping for at least, a, I think, a competitive scoreline, uh, which a lot of players have not been able to put up against Iga. And they did play last year on clay. Uh, they had a very tight first set, 7-6 first set. I think Iga sort of eking out a tough first set. She's such a good front runner, as we know, when she's on the front foot, she gets rolling. She won that second set, six love. So seven, six, six love, tight first set. And then Iga sort of took care of business after that. I think Bianca, she is a big match player. I feel like she has the ability to elevate her game in big moments. I think she's a stadium court player. I mean, you don't win the U.S. Open by accident. We've seen how she plays in front of a packed crowd. I think this is going to be a marquee matchup. I've just seen the schedule. It is on the night session, so it's going to be the second night match. Uh, You know, two superstar players uh, for what Bianca has accomplished in the past, what Iga's doing as a world number one. I think BB is going to bring it. Uh, Does that mean she's going to win? No, but I I think she's going to stay with her and push Iga, and that's what you have to do. Um, You know, this is what Krychikova said after defeating her uh, just the other week in in the Middle East, that you have to be willing willing to suffer, which, as you said, was one of her great quotes. I think BB uh, does have that champion's mentality that is required when you go against a world number one to make this a competitive match. I still will be very surprised if she could get over the line, but I want to see just a something competitive and tight. Yeah, and she's got that champion's mentality in Indian Wells, of course, because it was four years ago, four years ago that Bianca yeah. stunned the tennis world and even stunned us, you know, the ones who've been watching her you know, grow up as a tennis player here in Canada. We didn't see that one coming. And from there, I mean, what an incredible season that was for her. But the way she did it in 2019 was not the easy route either. So as Angelique Kerber once said, uh, there was some drama to mm-hmm. the way that she went through the draw that year. And uh, she's going to have to bring that uh, dramatic effect if she's going to have a, a chance against Iga Sviantec. It's not like she's going to go out there and steamroll her. Nobody really does that. 
No, uh, but I, I'm looking forward to at least to a, a great match, I think. I'm very excited for that one. We should touch on just the other Canadian on the women's side and Gabby Dabrowski, who is partnered again with Louisa Stefani. I have to say I'm very happy to see this partnership rekindled once again, and they had a comfortable first-round win, 6-1, 6-3, over Muhammad and uh, Danilina, so they're moving on to the round of 16. It's pretty rare to see, actually, Gabby at one of these events not seeded, uh, so they're actually unseated in the doubles draw and Gabby hasn't really played much this season uh so maybe you know she's entering this tournament with not many expectations which could have her playing pretty loose and free they are one of the most dangerous unseated teams in recent memory to me in mm. women's doubles it's shocking actually that they don't have a seed I know they don't have that immediate sense of uh you know uh, history over the past year They've only played once since that 2021 U.S. Open semifinal where they had to withdraw with that horrific injury that's uh, that Stefani sustained. Since then, they played once, which was back in the fall, and they won a tournament in India in their, you know, reunion uh, yeah. tournament together. So that bodes well that they've got that incredible chemistry where they can just come back together and immediately hit the ground and have that kind of success. I mean, if you think back to the summer of 2021, they were the hottest doubles team out there. They were winning or making yep. finals of every event they entered. Um, I know she played with Julianne almost for most of last year, and, and they bowed out in the third round of the Aussie Open earlier this year. I, I don't know if this is a uh, a permanent sort of reunion for the two or if they're just going to sort of take it, uh, you know, here and there as they can. But uh, I think when these two play doubles together, they are one of the top five teams on the WTA. Yeah, uh, I, th I think it's the best pairing for Gabby and best pairing really for Stefani as well. So I hope it continues on and hopefully they continue on through the field and make some noise. If we talk about just a few other women's players, Emma Raducanu, who you briefly touched on, the 2021 U.S. Open champion, who admittedly had a very tough 2022, 2023. There were a lot of question marks even going into this tournament if she would play. I know she canceled practice a couple times. She bowed out. She stepped aside from one of the exhibitions pre-tournament that I had a lot of trepidations of whether or not Emma was actually going to suit up. Suit up she did, and she's won two matches and, and looked pretty darn good. She beat Magda Lynette. Uh, 7662 Lynette had a big run at the Australian Open earlier this season. So maybe Emma, you know, her ranking right now, she's just inside the top 80. Hopefully sort of pressure is off. Eyes are still on her because she's such a big name, but she looks like she's playing some some good tennis again, which is great. Yeah, well, she's proving me wrong because I did not pick her in the Tennis Canada bracket challenge to go very far in this event. And, you know, for any of our listeners who've never checked it out, just check out the Tennis Canada, uh, you know, homepage, and there's a link to it there. It's a ton of fun. It gets me even I more involved in in tournaments. That sort of competitive aspect. Uh, I don't put money down on tennis, really, so it's uh, it gives me the, the the adrenaline rush of sort of that that kind of I guess um, you know atmosphere without having to wager any money. All I'm wagering is my respect, you know, and uh, I'm willing to put that out there and and look uh, foolish if it doesn't work out. So. Didn't work out for me with Radicanu, but uh, yeah, good for her to have this kind of run. And as we're speaking, she's up against Beatrice Haddad Maya, and I don't see that being out of the realm of possibility for her to be right in the mix as uh, Haddad Maya hasn't quite been as strong, I don't feel like, as she was last summer. Um, we saw her playing real good at the uh, National Bank Open in Toronto, mm -hmm. but uh, otherwise this is a winnable match. And again, with these young players, I think it's just a matter of sort of finding that confidence, believing in yourself again, and the pressure of having had such a huge career highlight at such a young age 
in today's WTA, this isn't like back in the day of Hingis, Kornikova, when we had more young players having success early. Um, it, it's difficult to navigate, especially when you add on top of it all the social media pressure and the junk that they've got to deal with in terms of all the, the losers that are you know sliding into their DMs, giving them a piece of their mind. I can't even imagine how when you're 18, 19, 20, you got to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Something uh, previous generations never had to deal with whatsoever. Just a couple other names. I, I mean, this field is so deep as I was sort of going through who's getting victories and advancing here. I mean, Jessica Gula getting through a really tough three set win over Potapova. So she's advancing and, you know, she's always dangerous on hard courts. Maria Sacri's won two tough three setters. Coco Goff is uh, comfortably into the round of 16. And then I look at like Anz Jabur is actually playing her first tournament uh, since the Australian Open and she's advanced. Paula Badosa actually has her first win of 2023 and she's a previous winner of this event. Sort of a reminder is, you know, some of these players get healthy again, like Bedosa. This field is really, really deep that beyond Iga, who is, of course, the clear cut favorite to win this event. I mean, sort of picking a final eight, final four is really, really difficult. A lot of players who can make a run. Yeah, it's next to impossible. It'll be amazing to see who from my bracket ends up deep. I've got Sviantek over Coco Goff. Coco Goff, who's turning 19 Monday, so uh, still uh, still so young, and yet it feels like she's been around for quite a while already. Uh, Bedosa, who you just mentioned, my goodness, she's got to go up against Rabakina in her second match wow. back of the year. And, and that's also what makes this feel somewhat like a slam, is you've got these killer matches so early on. There's really no weak draws. If you're going to pull away this title you're basically going to have to do what you would do in a, in a grand slam because of the depth of the draw. So on the women's side, uh, certainly has that feel on the men's side. Why don't we move, move over and have a look at what's going on over there. What are some of the things you've noticed early that have caught your eye uh, on the ATP draw in Indian Wells? Well, I'll start with uh, the number one seed of the event because Carlos Alcaraz uh, back in action and he made the semifinals of Indian Wells last year. I was really impressed with how he played against Tanasi Kokonakis. Uh, of course, he returned, I think, in such strong form already this season, won that one clay title in Buenos Aires got to the finals in Rio, but there were still some question marks over, is his leg okay? Because he pulled out of Acapulco. He looked really good against Kokonakis, beat him 6-3, 6-3, and I think 75 minutes. So he looks really dominant. I don't know, Danil Medvedev looks like he's in one of his grooves. Like, it's very reminiscent of 2021, where he was kind of the best hardcore player on earth. That led into his first and only Grand Slam title at the U.S. Open, and he's very comfortably sort of advancing so far. As we had this conversation uh he's taking on Ilya Ivashka I'll be stunned if we post this episode and he's lost that match so I'm going to confidently say he's in the round of 16 he's looking really really good um and then just to touch on like Stefano Tsitsipas is such a head scratcher for me here because he had his pre-tournament press conference and in the press conference he led and said well I've, I've come to this event but I'm not healthy I'm still dealing with a shoulder injury but I don't want to miss Indian Wells and I don't want to miss Miami. Uh, so I feel obligated to play these events. And I just find that I find that a bit puzzling for a player of his stature, like inside the top five, you know, he's been to slam finals before he's won masters 1000s that why is he 
very concerned with, you know, chasing ranking points or making sure that he gets to these events if he's not healthy. I mean, he's not like a 19 year old who's trying to build his ranking and break inside the top 50. I, I find it like a puzzling decision and it really cost him because he lost a long three setter to Jordan Thompson. Yeah, and it's not something where he's a player who's going to be out there looking for, you know, the prize money because the guy's already loaded right. based on what he's made in his career. But I, I guess it maybe comes down to what's your definition of an injury and what's my definition and what's Stefano Sisi passes definition, yeah. right? Because but, every player is different. I mean, we look at the way that sometimes Novak Djokovic might describe an injury and then all of his contemporaries are kind of rolling their eyes thinking, well, come on, how can he be injured? And now they're performing at that level. But to him, it's genuine. To him, he believes it. And so... I guess it depends, like, is an injury more of like just a little, you know, thing that you're you're dealing with, just something that's kind of bothering you, or is mm -hmm. it something that's debilitating or something that could get worse and become, you know, something that keeps you out of action for a long period of time? I can't imagine if he had any doctors who said, hey, you're injured, you know, and this could get worse, that he would risk it at this point in time. So maybe it's more, and again, things maybe get lost in translation for players who don't speak English as a first language too. So maybe it's more of like, hey, this is something bothering me, but not something that's actually injuring me, you know? Yeah, that's that's certainly possible. Uh, I mean, he did miss like a bit of a small chunk of time after the Australian Open, uh, reaching that final to seemingly rest the shoulder. Um, but I guess acknowledging, you know, maybe he's just not acknowledging it hasn't fully healed. Maybe it's at 70 80 percent we know that uh, Novak Djokovic as you said we know he was able to win the Australian Open uh with that that tear in a, his hamstring which is unbelievable so obviously his pain tolerance is incredibly high and that you know that threshold is different for different people uh but of course in in hindsight it just seems like an odd move that he would play given seeing him lose in his opening match Casper Ruud just to touch on quickly I mean he's number four four in the rankings and he's three and four now to start this season hasn't won consecutive matches and uh suffered a tough loss uh today to Christian Guerin six four seven six I know the clay will probably do him a lot of favors but he's maybe a player who could be a risk of really seeing his ranking you know drop off if he's not having consistent results at some of these events because French Open Finals, U.S. Open Finals, both in his 2022 year. Well, at least he's got that ability to switch surfaces and still be relevant. You know, for a yeah. lot of players, hardcore players, they're going to be like, OK, here comes the stretch of the season where I don't get any points. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so for him, the fact that he's going back to clay where we first kind of recognized his enormous potential, you know, probably a good thing. You know, we've got a couple of players who can play well and hard and clay court, and that's Denis Shapovalov and Felix Ogialiasim. Felix in particular, who's made finals on, on the dirt. And Dennis has had good runs uh, on clay before as well at the Masters 1000 level. But in this tournament, once again, Dennis going out early uh, to Ugo Humbert. I, I've got nothing to add because I feel like it's been said week in, week out, unfortunately, lately, as his season's been uh, in a bit of a rut, I, I'd say, since the Aussie Open, where he went out yeah. in five to um, her catch, which was respectable. Since then, it's been very difficult. Felix still alive and well as we speak. I do want to focus, though, on a positive, which is seeing the two of them back together again, playing doubles at an ATP event, something we haven't seen often. So I want to get your take on, you know, what do you like seeing uh, having the two Canadians together in doubles? And I want to ask you, and I'm asking you this cold here, but do you have a guess at how many times the two have played an ATP draw on the same side of the net before? Oh, wow. Oh, that's that's a pretty good one. Are we counting like do 
Just team competition count? So not futures, not challengers, and not, not team competition. So not ATP Cup, not Davis Cup. Just straight up ATP events. Just, just ATP what, tournaments yeah, as a double team. Mm-hmm. Four times? Yeah, wow, right on. That's that impressive. Was a, <laughs> that was a I, I would have. <laughs> I would have guessed higher, but it was the National Bank Open in 2016, again in 2018, uh, Montpellier in France in February of 2020, and now this tournament here, which kind of floors me, to be honest, that they haven't teamed up more often. Yeah, it it is unusual, I suppose. And I think we've touched on like Felix Ogialisim bonding with Hubert Hercatch. They've played doubles successfully in the past and actually their upcoming opponent on the other side, Rohan Bopana. That's been a common doubles p- player for Denis Shapovalov. We know they were like best buds as juniors and sometimes things I'm not suggesting they're not still very good friends, but sometimes uh, you just go off on your own journey as uh, you're, uh, you know, living your pro life and your career. And sometimes they're playing different schedules. You know, Felix going to Rotterdam, for example, this year, defending that title. Dennis is off in Delray in Dallas. They're playing different events at times. And uh, sometimes it's hard to line up the schedules. But I actually, I think they're both great doubles players, honestly. We saw that, you know, not only ATP Cup, but Davis Cup, both of them came up so clutch because they had to win, uh, you know, those doubles ties. I think three doubles rubbers on the way to the finals. Of course, you had Vashik Pospisil, uh, who's an incredible doubles player, but both Felix or Dennis had to step in and come up big and they delivered. And why not, uh, you know, gel as, as players uh, on the same side of the court as well? The fact that they can both slide in so effortlessly with Vashik Pospisil, I think, is a real testament to their doubles prowess. And also, we should say kudos to Vashik because he can play with either one of them on a moment's oh, yeah. notice. And they've already got chemistry and he can already kind of mentor them. And so we're very fortunate as a tennis nation to have that not just singles weaponry and firepower, but the fact that we can cut it on the doubles uh, side as well, which is great. And to your point about, you know, maybe why don't we see them play together as much? Yeah, I think what you said is just, you know, you're, you're growing up and you've got your teams and you're doing separate tournaments, not always the same tournaments. And then you're kind of also in competition with each other, just like in F1 when you've got two drivers who represent the same team, whether it's Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull or what have you. They're also in competition with each other. And so I'm not saying that kind of dulls the friendship. But I'm saying it does add another level of intricacy there. You know, it'd be kind of like if you and me went separate on podcasts, how often would we reunite for a joint podcast? I don't know, right? There would be a little bit of an element that's new there that they probably didn't have as juniors. But I think it's great to see them playing here in Indian Wells side by side. To me, it speaks to the fact that, yeah, their friendship is something that, you know, withstands all the changes they've both gone through as individuals and professionals over the past five or six years. And the crowds, honestly, I mean, it was jam-packed for their for their first doubles match. There was not an empty seat in the house, uh, which tells you their popularity, I think, on the tour. Just a few notes as we wrap up. I'll mention, by the way, if Carlos Alcaraz wins the title at Indian Wells, he reclaims the number one ranking. However, he would then have to defend his Miami Open title from last year oh, to boy. hold it for an additional few weeks. It's going to get interesting. So, I, I mean, if Alcaraz were to pull off the Sunshine Double, which would be incredible, he would have the number one ranking over Novak Djokovic. Other notes, uh, Rafael Nadal, he's back training on clay. Uh, no surprise there, but good sign that he's healthy. My quick question for you, when the clay season begins, if Rafa is playing, is he the favorite? I mean, Rafa's going to be the favorite to me on clay until he says, you know what, no mas, I'm retiring. So yeah. uh, despite injuries, despite being off for a while, 
he's shown that he can win Roland Garros with a lot of clay court lead up with a lot of clay court titles. He can also win Roland Garros when he doesn't have a lot of lead up or titles. So yeah, to answer your question, uh, without a doubt, he's my favorite if he's back on court, assuming he's back on court and feeling good again. There you go. And, um, we should mention as well, uh, Eric Heckman, the coach of Serena and Venus Williams, uh, will be coaching Jeannie Bouchard moving forward. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I touched base with Eric this afternoon. We've been lucky enough to have him on the podcast before when he was coaching both Serena and Venus, which was pretty cool to have him on then. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a long-term thing, but what he could share with me is he's working with her now and helping her to get back out there and be healthy. Uh, obviously he's still with Venus Williams who is not yet back healthy and playing. And we hope that we do see the American legend again soon, but for the time being, yeah, Eric's going to be working with Jeannie. And I think that's uh, pretty darn cool. Uh, look at his resume. Uh, I think that's a guy that, you know, moving forward is going to be in high demand uh, when Venus does call it a career. Uh, I think there are going to be a lot of people come calling for his services. Yeah. The uh, credentials speak for themselves. Uh, thank you. Uh, to Hotel X for this episode. We appreciate you guys. Appreciate you tuning in to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.